Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. This morning, what we're going to do is continue on thinking about repentance. Repentance means to, as Peter drew us into last week, it means to turn away from sin, anything which hinders our wholehearted devotion to God, and it means to turn back towards God, to turn to Him and and live before Him with love and obedience. Now the reason we are thinking about repentance and even spending three weeks thinking about repentance is because it is one of the fundamental, essential aspects of relating to God in His world, in the world that He has created. It's through repentance and faith that we not only establish but maintain a relationship with God in His world. It's one of those essential relational aspects of living in God's world before Him. Now, despite that, many of us, when we think about repentance, can feel like it's an unfamiliar concept or it's a foreign concept, even an irrelevant concept, a mysterious concept. And because of that, we often end up having a lack of ability or a lack of skill or the lack of motivation or even the right language to come before the Lord with repentance. And it is because of that that we want to camp on or be, uh, be thinking about repentance for a few weeks. So we're going to do three weeks on repentance in the next couple of months. We had one last week, we have one this week, and we have one on the 15th of August. Peter last week opened up what it looks like uh, from Psalm 32 to have sort of a basic motivation for repentance and what it looks like. Today I'm going to look at God's disposition towards us in repentance from Joel And on the 15th of August, Rob is going to open up for us what it looks like to use the language of repentance from Psalm 51. So hoping to flesh out a bit of a fuller picture in the next couple of months as we we focus on that. We'll concurrently, of course, continue to journey through the book of Hebrews and finish that out in the next couple of months. But that's what we'll be looking at. So we've read the passage this morning. If you do have your Bibles or your app open, um, keep it open and keep your eyes on it. We'll be camped in there, um, but why don't I just pray before we kick off. Lord, we are thankful to be here. We're thankful, Lord, as we, or for the way that we can walk into your presence with confidence as your children. We're thankful, Lord, that we can be confident that you will receive our repentance and, and, and provide us with that reconciliation. Lord, so many of us have come from weeks where we have been humbled by our own sin, humbled by our own apathy, humbled by our own desire for the things of this world and the things that are, that are not good for us. Lord, and we need encouraged. We need encouraged by the gospel. We need encouraged by who you are. So we pray that you would provide that for us this morning as we look at your disposition towards us as we come in repentance. Lord, I pray that as we come, you would nourish us with your word. You would fill us with confidence and you would provide us with the right 
with the right context in which to come before you with genuine repentance if that is necessary. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to pursue reconciliation if we feel like we have been distant from you. We pray that you would forgive us for the times where we have rejected you, dishonoured you, and we pray that you would fill us and restore us with joy in Christ by your Spirit today, even now. In his name we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. It would be easy for us to make God in our own image and to imagine that after seeing what we are truly capable of, he would be reluctant to receive our repentance. It would be easy for us to suspect after a long season of spiritual unfaithfulness or even a short season of spiritual filthiness that God would hesitate at the prospect of having us back or even cringe at the idea of receiving our repentance. And that is why we need Joel 2, 12-14. Because there we are reminded of God's disposition towards those who, who, who have fallen far but are still his people when he says, come and return. These verses start with one of the most sweetest, most beautiful invites of the Bible. When the Lord God declares to his people, yet even now, return to me. This plea was not made to a perfect people. This plea was made to a people who had been cold who had been unfaithful, who had failed to trust, who had failed to appreciate at a most fundamental level who God is and what that means for their life. This was, this was a plea made to a people who were presently experiencing the discipline of the Lord, had even been promised the future judgment of the Lord for their hard-heartedness, for their folly, and for their sin. Yet he says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me. He invites them to come and to have that relationship restored through repentance. It's worth seeing what he says here. You know, what he articulates is a welcome that is undeserved. It's also worth seeing what he does not say. He does not say to his people, well, I would have forgiven you, I would have welcomed you up to this point, but now it is too far. He doesn't say, not after that. He doesn't say, not anymore. He doesn't say, you've crossed the threshold and now there is no hope for you to return. He doesn't shut down, he doesn't shut them out, he doesn't shout louder or give them the cold shoulder. He says, yet even now, return to me. He says, turn away from that which you love 
more than me. Turn back towards me and face me and remember as you do that you will be received with a readiness. There is a readiness to receive that which will reconcile us. That is who our God is. (laughs) He is anything but reluctant, and he is relentless in his pursuit of our repentance. When I created this slide, I wanted you all to think that this was going to be a sermon about you being relentless in your pursuit of repentance. This is not a sermon about your relentless pursuit of repentance. This is a sermon about God's relentless pursuit of repentance. He says, yet even now return to me and I will receive you and we will be reconciled. This is a scandalous willingness. This is an unabashed willingness to receive the repentance of his people. So immediately we're reminded if we have been cold and if we have been distant and if we have been fleeing and failing to trust, if we have just finished a long season of spiritual unfaithfulness or are here today after a short season of spiritual filthiness, if we are here today after experiencing the discipline of the Lord, even fearing the future judgment of the Lord, and we have a desire to return and to repent, and we're wondering how we will be received, what is the answer? We will be received with a readiness for reconciliation. In Christ, these promises are made possible for us. In Christ, we are the people of God today, and so the promises are for us. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Yesterday in the McGimsey house, it was an intense day. (laughs) It's always an intense day in our house, but it was an especially intense day yesterday And it was especially intense because there was relational disharmony between me and one of my sons. I've asked him if I could share this with you this morning, and he said, okay. (laughs) After I failed to love him and to care for him and to protect him after provoking him to anger, he expressed an anger and frustration at me that was unprecedented which led to relational damage between myself and him, which meant for a few hours yesterday, there was a focus. There was a focus on pursuing relational restoration with him, which meant for me both asking for his forgiveness and using my initiative as a father to give him the opportunity to receive that relational restoration. I had already decided in my heart when I was talking to him, of course, that if he gave me one single word of 
repentance, I would have forgiven him immediately. The reason I share this story is not because it is a particularly heroic story, but because yesterday the Lord reminded me of his disposition towards us as a father. As we come to him knowing that our relationship has been damaged, we come to the perfect father who does not have to request forgiveness from us, but who does use his initiative, giving us the opportunity to restore the relationship, knowing that if he hears even a baby's babbling words of repentance, he will accept them because that is who he is. Our Father is ready to receive repentance from us in Christ. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me. He is relentless in his pursuit of our repentance. There is an overwhelming readiness of the Lord to forgive his people, to reconcile with his people that can only be had in Christ. With this in mind this morning, I want to ask two questions of the remaining text. How do I come and why do I know? Or how do I know? If this is true, what can I do in response to this? And why should I think this is true? Let's ask the first question. How do I come seeing God's scandalous willingness to receive our repentance, having this desire to respond, how do I do so? The Lord in this text gives us one action and two dispositions. The first is an action, he says, return. When he's saying return, of course, the implied thing is that we are returning from somewhere or something. He's saying, come back, leave behind, act by leaving behind whatever you're loving whatever you're trusting, whatever you're worshipping, whatever you're enjoying, whatever you're resting in, more than me. He says, identify it for what it is and return to me. He doesn't say return to a religion. He doesn't say return to a set of principles. He says return to a relationship. Come towards me. Find me, that intimate fellowship with God, which is ours in Christ. In Luke 15, Jesus shares the, the parable of the prodigal son, which is a parable about a rebellious son's relationship with his father. It's actually about two sons, but I just want to share with you the part about the rebellious son or the first rebellious son. The first son in this parable disrespects and abandons his father in pursuit of a place, in pursuit of people, and in pursuit of pleasure, in pursuit of having something, in pursuit of having someone, and having somewhere to satisfy the cravings of his heart. And for a period of time, he takes that which is his father's, takes his inheritance, and he goes and he indulges in it. But there comes a time when he realizes that those things outside of the relationship with father lead to emptiness and brokenness so he commits to return to the father how does the father receive him with a scandalous willingness he welcomes him back let's read from verse 20 together and he arose and came to his father 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Love that little bit. And felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the, and the son said to him, Father, I have, sinned, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This parable gives us a picture of the disposition of the Father towards those who will return to him repentantly. It gives us a pattern for the repentant life. We may think that we are acting towards the Father when in reality he is waiting and ready to pursue us when we come. We may have walked away from the Father in pursuit of a place of people and of pleasure. We may be here recognizing the emptiness and brokenness of those things away from the Father, and we are called in that space, if we desire repentance, to leave them and return to the Father, not to a religion, but to a person. He says, act, return to me. We're called to act in repentance We are also called to be in repentance. There is a dispositional expectation that the Lord has for us in repentance, knowing we are coming to him. The first thing he says is to be wholehearted, which is obviously contrasted with half-heartedness. In verse 12, the end of verse 12, he says, Return to me with all your heart, with weeping and fasting and mourning. Repentance involves the whole person and all of life. There is a physical aspect. There is an emotional aspect. The expectation is that there would be a fullness of readiness to, to pursue repentance. He also encourages us to be genuine, which would be contrasted with a disingenuous repentance, an external repentance. Verse 13, he says, rend your hearts and not just your garments. It was customary in their day for the Jewish people to rend their garments, to tear their garments as an expression of extreme emotion. It's kind of like the wrestlers, you know, the WWE wrestlers ripped their tops off, but it was more nuanced and beautiful than what you would see in that situation. They would do this as a sign of anger, or grief, or in this case, conviction of sin. The reality for them, though, was it was easy for this practice to become formulaic and habitual and practiced and largely external. He's saying, when you tear your garments, make sure that there is a corresponding tearing of your heart. Now, at this point, we need to remember not to place upon ourselves a legalistic emotional pressure, saying unless repentance has with it this weight of emotional conviction, then it is not genuine repentance. We must remember that there is an inevitable imperfection even to our repentance that requires grace. But at the same time, the Lord is saying, when you tear your garments, when you put the practices of repentance in place, 
remember to expect of yourself a tearing of the heart, which of course can only happen when we see our sin within the context of a relationship with God himself in the context of his world with his holiness we see the grotesqueness of our sin and the glory of the gospel of grace. The Lord calls us as we repent to act and to be, to return with genuineness and wholeheartedness, knowing who he is. At this stage, it would be easy for us to think that repentance and reconciliation with God is entirely dependent upon the quality of our repentance, but the text will not allow it. What we will go on to see now is that our repentance is entirely dependent on the quality of our God. How do we know that this is true, that when we return to the Father, we will be received with a readiness? It is not ultimately because of our efforts. It is not ultimately because of what we do as though we earn God's ear or earn God's favor or earn God's forgiveness. This would just be another wearisome works righteousness. The reason we can be confident that we will be received when we return is because of his character. Verse 13, return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over, dis- and he relents over disaster. So often in human relationships where two parties have been alienated from one another by sin and where we see the the seeking of reconciliation, we find that any attempts to reconcile fail. And often the reason that those reconciliation efforts fail is because the party who has sinned is unwilling to repent. But the other side of that is often we see that those reconciliation attempts fail because the party who has been grieved does not have the character to receive the repentance from the grieved party. Here we see that this is not so with the Lord. He is able to receive our repentant efforts because of his character. Because of his character, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster. He is the very opposite of every human desire to reject repentance. He is more perfect than even the most admirable efforts to receive the repentant returnee. He is like no other God. He does not have a begrudging or vindictive attitude He is not slow to receive the repentant returnee. He is willing to relent even over discipline and even over judgment to all those who rightly deserve it because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster. He has shown in the story of the world, in the way that he is related to his people, the grittiness of his grace, 
It is not a grace that dissipates when things get hard. It is a grace that lasts the distance. He has shown as he journeyed with the nation Israel, even as he journeyed with them when they constructed the golden calf at the base of the mountain while Moses received the law, that he is slow to anger. He has shown us by sending his own son that he abounds in steadfast love. He is committed. He is covenantal. He is steadfast. He is determined. He has shown as he perseveres with the church that he is merciful and willing to relent over disaster. This is who he is and this is how we know when we come to him we will be received with a scandalous willingness. So if you're in that space and you're in that place where you are beginning to suspect after a long season of unfaithfulness, faithlessness or failure, or after a short season of spiritual filthiness, that God would hesitate at the prospect of having you back or cringe at the idea of your repentance, I would simply invite you to remember who God is, and I would invite you to return. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me. You have an opportunity. You have a calling. You have a gracious God. Return to him. Finishing out with verse 14, we are reminded that we are not promised that the experience, that we are not promised that we won't experience the consequences of our sin in this life. We're reminded in verse 14 that this is in the hands of God. He will either allow it or he will overrule it. But the promise is that either way, if we come to him repentantly, He has a readiness, a willingness, and an ability to receive your repentance, to allow reconciliation, and to restore the relationship. Great is our God. Blessed is the man, Psalm 32, 1 reminds us, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would grasp something of the, the willingness you have for your people to return and to, to repent. So often, Lord, we feel like we need to stay away and get cleaned up before we can come and say, here I am. But you remind us again and again and again that the only cleaning we will ever have that will please you is in Christ by his blood Help us, Lord, to remember to come with our struggles and with our sin and bring them to you and to bring a heart of repentance to return. Help us, Lord, even today as we, as we go about our activities this afternoon, as we sit with our families, as we drink the coffees, as we drive, as we meditate, as we love our families, whatever it is, Lord, help us to remember and reflect upon who you are and, Lord, help that be the thing that facilitates our repentance and action 
and a, a, a thing which is true in its disposition. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to be a repentant people daily and eternally. In Jesus' name, amen.